CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. It is Friday and it's time for Options Action. I'm Frank Collin in for Miss Melissa Lee. Coming up tonight, the market's logging their best week since June as investors tempered their Fed fears. But a big test comes next week with the biggest of the big tech earnings. We're going to give you plays for Apple, Google, and Microsoft. And speaking of earnings, Netflix turned into a stellar, turned in a stellar performance this week, which means we should manage our trade from last week right now. We'll explain what to do next with me tonight. Carter Worth, the chart master, Mike Coe, and a special appearance by Dennis Davitt. Before we get to tonight's trades, let's get a quick assessment of the week's overall market action. Carter, what's your take? Well, in many ways, it was sort of more of the same. If you think about it, yields were up, uh, up 15 now weeks in a row or close to it, uh, a near record. Uh, gold down, although recovering a bit. And S&P, of course, putting on a good week. And yet, here too, we're basically the same level we were where we were in June. Not much happened. It's going to really get down to whether the earnings can deliver next week. Dennis? Yeah, I mean, nothing like a 2.5% broad market rally on a Friday to make everybody feel like it's summertime, even though it's not. Uh, the, you know, an option show, the VIX is still priced at 30. We're not seeing much of a compression in the VIX. The market was up today. The VIX was pretty much unchanged, down about 60 bips. Uh, 30% VIX, 29.5% implies a 2% move per day. That's what we've been getting. Options are pretty fairly priced right here. Mike, you getting those summertime vibes too? No, I, I don't think I am really. <laughs> I have to say, you know, look, first of all, you know, we, we had so much bearish sentiment coming into this week. Uh, I, I think, you know, just anything that didn't have bad news in it was likely going to create some support for the market. Uh, we saw a couple things come in this week, including you mentioned Netflix. Obviously, the results were quite good there. Uh, Slumberjay today, obviously, the results were quite good there. And, you know, that kind of thing is going to lend some support. Everybody's looking for uh, maybe a little bit of green shoots, you could say. And, of course, everyone's also holding out some hope that uh, the Fed sort of takes its foot off the brake a little bit. Um, I'm not sure that they're really going to do that. They're certainly not going to do it, in my view, by the next meeting. Uh, but I, you know, I think that even weak markets, and I think that's what we're in, you know, we'll see solid weeks, and that's what we got. All right, hold on to your hats. Next week is the big one for tech earnings. Carter, going to start with you. What are you looking at for Apple, Google, and Microsoft? All right, let's get right to it. So the first thing we know of these three anyway, Apple continues to be the one that acts the best, despite all being down. There's a table, and we can look at that just to put it in context. Year-to-date performance of Apple versus Microsoft versus Google uh, tells the tale. Call it 30% for the other two, down, plus minus, whereas Google essentially is down half, I mean, Apple is down half that, excuse me. Let's look at a chart that depicts that table. And so you'll see here a, a comparative chart. And the, uh, the, the laggards, of course, Microsoft and Google are almost like frickin' frack. You can't see uh, any difference. And there's Apple, however, uh, standing out. And so if we look at the three companies, the three charts individually, this really gets to it. What do we know about where we are in relation to where we've been? Microsoft's June low is annotated there. That's the, the line. And we broke below that low and we've kicked back, thrown back to it. But that's where you usually fail. 
Look at Google. It's the exact same circumstance. We breached the June low. We rallied back to the level from which the stock broke down by definition a level of overhead supply. And then finally, by contradistinction, look at Apple. Of course, Apple never got anywhere near its June low. And what we know from here is if and as uh, the others fail, having rallied back to the breakpoint, or Apple were to join them, there's no way mathematically equities can go up S&P by virtue of the weight that these stocks are in the index. All right, there we go. Uh, now to the trade for all three of these. Mike, let's kick things off with Microsoft. Yeah, so, you know, this is a tough one, of course, because when I think of tech companies that I like, we're not actually long any tech companies. We're long principally uh, energy, for example, is one of the areas that we are long. But when I look at Microsoft, this is a company that does seem to be, at least uh, in terms of execution, executing exceptionally well. I mean, we're looking at year-on-year 10% revenue and EPS growth. Uh, they're in cloud. They're in hybrid cloud, perhaps more importantly, with their Teams product. They're basically able to adapt to a, a changing work environment. Uh, I think the struggle for them is that we are in a contracting multiple environment and concerns about uh, declining earnings environment. So I think where this creates some pressure for Microsoft is at 25, 26 times uh, earnings on a trailing basis, probably where we are. That's still a pretty significant premium to the S&P right now, trading around 17. One of the things that is not depressed, though, are options premia going into earnings. Uh, options premia are about two standard deeps above their two, five, and 10-year norms. And I think that creates a little bit of opportunity if you think you're running into some overhead supply at these levels. With the stock trading around 238, I was looking at the December 2nd weekly 245, 250 call spread. Uh, you could sell that call spread for about $2.05, more than 40% of the distance between the strikes. Uh, and that call at the time that I was looking at it was almost 3% out of the money. Now, the stock did rally into the end of the day. So when you come in on Monday, if you're looking to put on a trade like this, you want to make sure you adjust your strikes accordingly. But you know, when you can put on a, an upside credit spread, collect 40% of the distance between the strikes going into a catalyst like this, uh, when options premia are above their averages as they are in this case, I think that's a, a good setup. So, Dennis, you're trading two of the other biggest names in the space, Apple and Alphabet. Start us off with some Apple. Right. Um, the thing about Apple is what they're really expanding on is in their services. It's, it's moved away from the watch. It's moved away from the phone cycles and moved more into different sort of services. You can only see the Great Pumpkin this year on Apple TV. So, you know, they have a lock on that. The trades I like looking at in Apple is, you know, to go on the back of what Carter said about the best behaving stock is how well it can behave. And, you know, when I'm looking at a trade where you go out to the marketplace and you buy the 145 call and you sell the 175 call against it, but you do it two times against it. So it may seem odd that you're selling two, call, two upside calls against this. However, if you look at the break evens on this trade, it's close to $200 in the stock. That gives Apple over a $3 trillion market cap. So would you be selling Apple at $3 trillion if it behaves well? Probably you'll get taken out of the trade. But there's a big space there, you know, that, that green pyramid on the chart on right now that shows you where the trade is profitable. So, you know, be cautious of selling two upside calls, but they're so far out of the money. The demand for upside calls is so strong in the marketplace right now. It's really a structured trade. And it's the structure of that trade that, um, where people are out reaching for calls on Apple to participate, that allows you to sell the upside call and what arguably could be an overpriced option. 
So, Mike, what do you think? What are your thoughts on Dennis's trades here? Yeah, so, you know, he sort of uh, hit it right on the head. You know, th- selling naked calls is uh, is a strategy that I think can be dangerous in a lot of instances. You know, we, we have seen stocks, uh, especially the meme stocks, really rip. But as he points out, if there's any stock where that's less likely to occur, uh, Apple has to be it. I mean, we're talking about the largest company in, in the world right now uh, outside of uh, <laughs> Saudi oil, I guess. But, you know, this is a situation where, you know, getting up to those upper ranges is, is really quite unlikely. And that's one of the things that makes a setup like this uh, intriguing. And I would add one other thing, too. And this is a popular trade. If you owned Apple, you owned it from higher levels, you were thinking about adding to it going into earnings, you might consider putting this structure on instead of purchasing additional stock. And then, of course, you won't have that uh, naked exposure to the upside if you're already long the stock as well and you layer this on top of it. All right, Dennis, we're going to keep you on the hot seat. Can you give us your Google trade this time? So the trade I'm looking at in Google is kind of the opposite of what I just said in Apple. Uh, with Google trading around $100, the, 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 if it doesn't behave well, if, if things really do fall apart, you can go out and you can sell one of the Google $100 puts for about $4.5. And then you can go buy three of the $90 puts. So, yeah, you'll lose money if Google goes from 100 down to 90 you're not going to lose necessarily that $10. Those 90 puts are going to start kicking up in value, and you're going to get longer and longer volatility in Google. So it's like you're long the VIX of Google as it goes higher if it really starts to fall apart in the broader market. And it's kind of like a tail-risky type trade. You can see the, the rate of acceleration, the rate of profitability once you pass below that 90 strike uh, is pretty dramatic. Um, this is a trade that you can put on for $0. So you're selling one put for four and a half dollars. You're paying roughly a dollar and a half for the other three. You get into the trade for zero dollars. If you're wrong and the market, you know, we all want the market to go higher. If the market goes up higher, you're really not losing money on this trade if you hold it to expiration. All right, Mike, I see you eyeballing this trade a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, one way to think about a trade like this is you're making a bet that uh, out of, there's three possible things that happen. Uh, one is that the stock stays here and goes higher, no, no harm, no foul. But if it breaks lower, it's likely to break significantly lower. Uh, and I kind of like the trade setup for that. I will point out, though, that you know, this is a company that has a great deal of cash on their balance sheet a net on a net-net basis over $100 billion. And, and that does create some degree of insulation to the downside. But it's not a trade we've, we've discussed, I think, maybe on the show ever. And it's, it's one of the creative uh, things that people should contemplate if they're thinking about making bearish bets in a market like this, because you get a lot of convexity to the downside if things start moving sharply. All right, Carter, I know you're always watching the charts. How do the, the charts look on this one? Well, again, so the issue is uh, the ones that are broken below their June lows versus Apple, which is not. But here's the thing about these stocks as it relates to the market. We know that the NASDAQ 100, right, has had a total positive return for 13 years in a row until this year. Uh, we're now down, of course. There's no other index that has managed that in history. And we're going to have a down year. And interestingly, at the mid-year point, when you would look at polls, still half of respondents would say, you know what, I think they'll recover. They're not recovering. And the big question is, what if they get meaningfully worse next week in response to earnings? All right, that is the question. Coming up, it's not just the Fed that's impacting the power of the U.S. dollar. It's also Japan's yen. We'll explain. And for everything's options action, check out our website and newsletter. There's much more options action right after this break. Stay with us. 
Calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Options Action. There's more powering macro moves than just the Fed. Carter, you've actually been looking at the relationship between the Japanese yen and the U.S. dollar. Right. I mean, in many ways, the biggest single macro data point or event of the past five days is what went on in the Japanese yen. Let's get right to the charts and look at it. And the fascinating thing about this is and you can see those parallel lines. The yen has been weakening. Up is weak, of course, in the case of this chart. And you often get technical setups just before fundamentals come out. That's why a stock setting up at a breakout juncture, the earnings cause the breakout. So there was intervention on the part of the BOJ, and you see that the yen faltered essentially right at the upper band. It briefly went above, but then faltered. And so there were buyers stepping in in the yen, in addition to probably, the, of course, the buyers, the BOJ. The question is the dollar. And so we've done a couple dollar trades in the past, but I wanted to look at that again the next chart is the UUP, which is an ETF out of Invesco that tracks uh, the U.S. dollar index. And so we know here, too, and in this instance, up is up, up is strong, dollar strength. We went out through the top of the channel. It's a very well-defined channel. Those are mathematically parallel lines. And now we've fallen back into it. And I think ultimately the dollar is going to go to the lower band. And so just another way to draw the lines, final chart. Uh, this is basically the UUP again, but you see here the sequencing. After a strong advance, you get a counter trend move, and then it re reasserts itself, makes a new high, and then again a counter trend. We're in the process of a counter trend, and I don't think it's over. So we're playing for lower dollar. All right, Carter's looking at the counter trend moves. Mike, you're looking at this move in the yen for a way to play the U.S. dollar. Take us through your trade. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there are ETFs that track the yen more specifically, but I think UUP options are probably an easier and better way to play it. Um, one of the reasons for that is that the bid-ask spread typically in UUP is going to be a little bit tighter, and that's obviously a positive. You know, the other thing that, of course, is going to affect the dollar relative to other currencies is what our central bank is doing to relative to what other central banks are doing. Right now, uh, we know that there's about a 75 basis point hike priced in with near certainty um, for November. Of course, there's a lot of conversations going on about whether or not they're talking about moderating potentially either the pace of these hikes or the size of these hikes. Uh, I think a 75 basis point hike in December uh, price this week was about a coin toss, 50-50. In any case, if they slow the rate hikes or if they suspend them even briefly starting in December, because I think November is already a lock, uh, then potentially as other central banks uh, at least hold steady or maybe even tighten themselves, that would cause some weakness in the dollar on a relative basis. Now, in the same way that we see in many places, options prices being slightly elevated, if you look at the prices outright for UUP options, you're going to think, oh, they don't look very expensive. And that's because currencies don't typically move that much. But on a relative basis, 
they are actually uh, above average. And that's one of the reasons I'm looking to use a spread. And more specifically, I was looking at using an in-the-money put spread. In this case, I was looking out to the de December regular way expiration, the 31.29 put spread. Uh, when UUP was trading about 30.15 earlier today, you could spend about 90 cents to buy that put spread, which was already about 85 cents in the money. So the amount of decay that you're paying on this is it's very close to zero, only a nickel. But you'll notice that there's a slightly asymmetric payout. The amount that you could potentially profit on the downside is, is slightly greater than the amount that you're risking. Really, the idea being that UUP is, like the currencies that underpin it, uh, not likely going to move a great deal. It's just going to move a lot on a relative basis to itself. And that is to say, currencies don't move a lot. So we're using a, a put spread that's not needing them to in order to profit. Yeah, we've seen some unusual action when it comes to currency recently. You guys at home can't see this. Dennis was like furiously taking notes during this one. So, Dennis, what's your take on Mike's trade? Um, my take on Mike's trade is that it's a great trade. And one of the things, I don't know if I was furiously taking notes on it, but currencies don't move much. Is I'm, I'm one of the few people who come on the show and say this to Mike. It's like, that's what the younger guys think. Um, currencies have the ability to move a great deal. We have moved into a new era in currency trading. I mean, you just look at what happened in England with the gilts and with the pound as recently as a month ago. So I think we're moved into a new world order in currency trading. I think currency trading and volatility is going to return the currencies. I think as we move, as certain countries move out of uh, stimulus and into tightening when others can, some can't, you're going to see drastic moves. That's why Mike's trade is so great. It's an asymmetric payoff on a bet that he wants to make. I can tell you this. In my years of doing this, the biggest unwinds and the biggest shocks to markets I've ever seen have been in currency trades. So it could be something like a, a, the New Zealand currency or Australian dollar. When they go sideways, they go sideways really quickly. So having options trades on in these things is the absolute best way of doing it. You limit your risk because, I, I, like I said, it's one of those jumps we're seeing and, and trending over. You can look at like the European VIX is higher is lower than the U.S. VIX, and they have a war going on over there. There's the, the whole global decentralization of it. Uh, options are the way to go. I like Mike's trade. I like the bet on it. If he was wrong, an error of his youth, um, he's stopped out on the trade. <laughs> Mike, I think he's calling you a youngin'. He mentioned his years in the business. I, again, behind the scenes, Mike's like, oh, bring it back to me. Bring it back to me. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, yeah so, uh, well, I, I'm not that young. I started the business only a couple of years behind Dennis, actually. I think we're, we're both in our 50s. Maybe I'm in my early 50s and he's in his mid to late 50s. If I got that wrong, <laughs> Dennis, I apologize. And of course, you're right. Uh, we did see the Swiss unilaterally devalue the franc uh, just a few years ago. So there are circumstances where, and that's the interesting thing about currencies too, right? So you have essentially policymakers who can make these unilateral determinations that have a very sharp and immediate impact. But I think what's going on here is that many central banks are moving in parallel. And some of that increased volatility that Dennis is talking about in currency pairs is indeed priced into options, which is one of the reasons why I'm using this spread. But I think he's right. You know, Some of the biggest fortunes that have ever been made in the options markets and the futures markets were in currencies. And that may yet happen again. All right, we'll let you guys work out who's older and younger after the break. Uh, up next, a Twitter question, a look-back combination. What to do with last week's Netflix trade? Right now, more options action. We're back in two minutes. Stay with us. 
All right, welcome back to Options Action. Time for what we like to call a tweet-based look back. One of you asking, should we close the Netflix risk reversal trade after earnings? Just for a quick refresher, just last Friday, Carter and Mike laid out a way to play the stock heading into the company's quarterly results after the bell on Tuesday. The stock popped after earnings, earnings and is now up around 25% this week. So we're going to go to one of the young guys here. Mike, how do you manage this one? We targeted a move up to 280, closed today 289. I think we take the money and run. All right, Dennis, last time you were on the show was Friday. Uh, on this Friday show, excuse me, was September the 23rd. You laid out an inexpensive tail risk trade that looked way out through the beginning of next year. What's your position now? Uh, my position is you leave it on. If you look at the, the P&L of this trade, it pays you a lot of money if the market um, craps out. So it hasn't cost you very much. It's trading roughly around the same price. That big green blob on the left-hand side hopefully will provide you some sleep at night. Mike, the rebuttal? I, I doesn't need a rebuttal. I think it's a great trade, and I'd have it on myself if I were you. All right, there we go. For Carter, anything else there? Real quick, we got to get to break. Yeah, if you're long Netflix, I would uh, sell the December 3.30 calls, which is to say I'd lock in some, some gains here by taking some risk off. Yeah, locking in gains. A lot of people like to do that. All right, up next, the final call. Stay with us. All right, hold on, wait a minute. I know you guys thought we were finished, but we have time for one more look back. Last week's Lumberjay trade is already in the green after earnings. Mike, what do we do with that one? Yeah, I'm still long Slumberjay, Halliburton, and Devon Energy, so I think you stick with this trade. All right, time now for the final call. Carter, you're up first. Uh, there are always rallies, but the market, uh, by all accounts, is not in good shape. We remain sellers. Dennis? Um, I'm going to go with the young gun, Mike Coe. I like uh, his getting short exposure to Microsoft via his spread. Mike, you're catching a lot of heat. Yeah, I'm going to put on a put spread in UUP short dollar. All right, there it is. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer. It starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.